Welcome to the Atheist Experience. We're live. It's uh, Sunday, February 1st, 2015. I'm Matt Dillahunty, and joining me this week, we have a special guest. Dr. Daryl Ray is here. Welcome back, my friend. Good to be back. I always Woo! enjoy it. And we have a studio audience, like always. Good uh, audience. Good audience. People, people ask us about that. It's like, oh, you know, I wanted to come down. I was in Austin, and then they just go to dinner or after the show. Uh, you know, you can actually come and sit. We set up chairs. We'll even set up chairs on both sides when there's uh, enough people. But uh, this is a live public access television program out of Austin, Texas. And uh, we take calls. We talk about, you know, theism, atheism, philosophy, all kinds of other stuff, basically, what, whatever you're willing to call in about. But the, the primary purpose is to have the conversation with people, find out what they believe and why, and why they think other people should believe it as well. Uh, sometimes people will say, give their reason for why they believe, and it's something that even they would admit shouldn't convince anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, if God appeared to me, uh, you know, this morning in the shower and told me that he was real um, and, and managed to actually convince me, well, then I would be convinced. But that's not a reason that Daryl should believe unless he was actually in the shower with me and saw the same thing, which didn't actually happen. I like happen. showering with friends, but not, not with you. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. That's because I, I hog all the soap for my beard. Probably. Probably. But, so how are you, sir? I'm doing really well. So Glad you, to be back. We've, we've known each other for years. We end up at, at conferences and stuff. You've been on the show what, once or twice before? Three three times, I think. Yeah. So Daryl's going to take over my job pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> we keep having him on. Uh, but you you start off the, the, the first book that really kind of helped you kind of rise to prominence in our community was The God Virus. Right. right yeah. And then you moved on to Sex and God. Which, which was my real love. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to think that's probably the sex part that's the yeah, real right, love. The yeah, right, the real love, yeah. But, uh, and that was based on a study that you did. No, no, no. The study is only a tiny part of the book. Uh, no, it's it's a full book on sex, the cross-cultural look at sex mm-hmm. and sexuality and the biology, the anthropology, the sociology. You put them all together and compare them against religion, bounce all that off against religion. And that's so now religion. you've moved on dramatically from sex and God uh, to sex and porn addiction. Well, actually, that's a whole chapter in the book. Sex but you're and porn expanding addiction. this, aren't you? I am. I am because there, I could write a whole book just on sex and porn addiction, but I don't really need to because there's already been a book written about it. Cool. Already, yeah. So but it is you, a pet peeve of mine. Why don't you take over and explain why this is a pet peeve of yours and maybe uh, educate our audience a bit before we go to calls. Okay, Until before about 1983, nobody had heard of porn and sex addiction. Well, first of all, we didn't have the Internet, so you couldn't have porn addiction too much. Well, I guess you could, but the fact was that this whole notion of porn and sex addiction has arisen with the religious right. And if you look deeply at the notion of people being addicted to porn, there's recent research that shows that the more religious you are, the more you self-identify as a porn or a sex addict. Now, isn't that interesting? Why would religious people identify? We also know, if you just look at the statistics around the United States, that 
the more religious uh, a community is, the more they watch porn. Secular people watch porn too. They just don't watch as much porn as the religious people do. But who's out there banging about, you shouldn't be watching porn. You shouldn't be masturbating, all that sort of stuff. It's the religious people. I wonder if so, one yeah. of the reasons for that might be that, you know, religions have kind of infused people with uh, this feeling of shame mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. towards this. And so since it's something that they feel they can't control about themselves, they want the world to control it for them. That's exactly right. They, they want the, the elders of the church to control. They want their parents to control. And they teach them all this stuff about natural biological stuff. And it starts the first day uh, you go to school and they tell you you shouldn't be masturbating because it will ruin your marriage or something like that. And Mormons teach that, and Catholics teach that, and Muslims teach that. I mean, almost all the patriarchal religions are against, especially male masturbation. The Bible is against male, well, supposedly. It's oh, really not. Uh, Onan. Well, you know, he, he forgot Onan's... to screw his dead brother's wife. No, That's he he, he screwed yeah. her. He did, but he pulled out the yes. wrong time. Yes, right. uh, but and then you know God God smited him for that. But it wasn't smiting him for s- masturbating or spilling no, his seat on the ground. It really it was, yeah. He was smited for not following through with his obligation. His obligation was to impregnate yeah. his deceased right. brother's uh, widow, and uh, by avoiding that, he was violating God's instructions. Yeah. But so my pet peeve. As far as the Bible's concerned, you can whack it as much as you want. That. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure. I think Joseph Smith would have disagreed with you and the Mormons, but, yeah, but, but okay. They got their own book. They got their own book. So here's why it's a pet peeve of mine, Matt, is there's no scientific evidence for the notion of porn or sex addiction. None. And we need to understand that. There's too many people out there thinking it's a scientific term when it is not a scientific term. In fact, if you look at the DSM-5 that just came out, there is no classification. There's no way to diagnose. Your insurance company will not pay you to go to a therapist and get sex addiction therapy or counseling or porn addiction counseling or therapy. There's no classification. There's no way for insurance to do that. Will the insurance pay for me to go see, like, a prostitute? Because, uh, I mean, if it, you've got that kind of interest, I want that insurance. That's, okay? that's the type of thing. I mean, if we've convinced people that they have a problem that isn't a real problem, that's not backed by real science. Right, right. Uh, if they ever add this to where insurance companies can send you to a therapist for your sex addiction, much like they can send you to a homeopath and a chiropractor yeah, and whatever, right. uh, then I think they should also be able to send you to a brothel. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe just like once or twice a year. You don't have oh, to. Oh, darn. Not really? like just, a weekly thing. But okay. We need to teach both sides. I agree. Teach the controversy yeah. here. Right. <laughs> wow. Where did that go? I- <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so the problem with porn and sex addiction is most of the people that are diagnosing sex and porn addiction are self-diagnosing. Right. Or their spouse is diagnosing, or their minister is diagnosing, or their Sunday school teacher, or worse, parents are diagnosing their own children as sex or porn addicts. How can, and I've seen kids as young as 12 years old be t- told, told point blank, you are a sex addict or you're a porn addict. That's, that's ludicrous. That's crazy. And yet, that's the, that's the direction that uh, the religious community would like us to go. In fact, what happens is a lot, if you look at the rehab clinics for sex and porn addiction, they're almost all run by basically religious charlatans or people who've got a religious agenda. Um, so if, yeah. we're, if we're basically kind of as a society conven- inventing 
um, sex and porn addiction and then convincing people that they have it mm-hmm. um, without any good uh, diagnostic tools. What, what about potential issues where um, someone is actually so wrapped up in sex and porn to the point where it's negatively affecting other aspects of their mm-hmm. life to where it might qualify as some sort of addiction under some other DSM kind of standard, um, that, that they're, they're, they're doing harm to their life. I mean, do we see that? And how would we go about kind of addressing that? How is that distinct? Well, from first of all, the word addiction adds nothing to the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I could diagnose you as obsessive-compulsive. I could diagnose you as depressed. How does adding the word addiction help me understand anything? Mm. Except addiction tends to come with moral overtones to it. You are uh, morally faulted or a morally, uh, you have a moral problem because you're an addict. And that helps no one. That doesn't help you advance, understand your depression or understand your compulsion. I want to treat, as a psychologist, I want to treat the compulsion. I want to treat the depression. I don't care. If you come into my office and say, I'm a sex addict, I'm going to, okay, let's look at what is underneath that sex addiction. Let's look at the belief structure that supports the self-destructive behavior. So what you're saying is some sexual behavior is self-destructive, and I absolutely agree with that. Some people can have behaviors. But people tell me I'm a sex addict, and the next person comes to my office, I could ask, are you a Facebook addict? How many people spend as much time looking at Facebook as the next guy that comes to my office spends watching porn? Yeah. Sorry. Are you looking at Facebook? I'm pretty sure she's on Facebook right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I love my wife so much. (laughs) Thank you for being a perfect object lesson. And there's no way to distinguish between a Facebook addict and a porn addict. The brain's processing a lot of this stuff, and the reward systems are all there. The reward pathways are identical. And anybody that says there's scientific evidence that can distinguish these two is, is, uh, Blowing smoke. They don't know what they're talking about. So setting aside that, you know, we don't have any any scientific evidence for this, we don't have any way to diagnose it, you're still in the position that you want to treat whatever's wrong with the individual. How can we do a better job of informing people about this in a way that allows them to get treatment for whatever is wrong with them or identify that there's, in fact, nothing wrong with them? Yeah. Well, that's a good question because, first of all, you have to identify that there is uh, sometimes people think they're a sex addict when they're simply behaving normally. I mean, how many is a normal number of times masturbating? Once a day? Five times a day? What's normal there? We don't know. And yet people come in and say, I'm a sex addict because I masturbate four or five times a day. Or more. Well, no, if it's not interfering with your job, if it's not interfering with your marriage, if not interfering with anything, then it's it's just behavior. Why do we need to treat it? Unless you feel guilty about it. Unless you think Jesus is making you, uh, or the devil's communicating with you because you, as you masturbate, then we've got a problem. But it's not the masturbation. It's probably this idea of the devil and going to hell for masturbating and all that sort of stuff. You know, I like to talk a lot about masturbation, so we're off to a good start already today, aren't we? You can talk about it all you want on the show. You just can't do it while you're sitting here. <laughs> or at least not display it. Okay, that's that's good. Whatever happens inside of your head is entirely your prerogative. Uh, I tell you what, why don't we go ahead and uh, take some calls. There's somebody who had a, a question, actually. Uh, John in Baton Rouge. Hi. Your, your question, as it's written here, uh, doesn't really go to the topic, but it's closer than anybody else's, so I figured I'd start with you. Okay. Go for it. All right. Uh, 
Yeah, first off, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, big fan. Uh, but uh, I recently came across an article online. Uh, it was called uh, What It's Like to Date Your Dad. And uh, I'm not entirely convinced that this has actually happened, but uh, basically the conceit was there was an 18-year-old girl who uh, had an estranged father who uh, came back into her life after, you know, she they, they had lost contact with a number of years. He hadn't seen her since she was uh, an infant, I believe. And uh, they have, they they apparently began a relationship, and uh, they started, they, they're interested in dating, they're interested in being married. And when I read this article, I had a reaction probably very similar to uh, how a lot of theists probably view homosexuality, and that it was just more of an emotional reaction, just like, you. Yeah, but, sure, the, the ick factor of somebody acknowledging that they're into something that you're not. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so I began to, you know, start to analyze this article and try to figure out exactly if there was a moral basis, if there was any type of rational basis for the reaction that I was having. And when I began to analyze it only, like, I, I can't really morally, I don't feel like I can morally object to something like incest as long as it's between two consenting votes. Sure. So, yeah, so, so my concern my concern in issues like this is far more about how the law treats it and far more about how other people uh, treat the individuals involved, what, you know, mm -hmm. what, what society does, what a psychologist might actually, uh, you know, diagnose or discover or, 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 you know, recommendations that they might make. Um, I don't have an objection to two consenting adults uh, engaging in things that don't seem to harm them or anybody else. Where we have these problems um, with incest, it actually boils down to a couple different things, and we can even just set religion completely out of the conversation for, for a moment. Okay. Um, one is that we have defined relationships, and with those relationships come boundaries. Some of that is to you know perhaps avoid conflicts of interest. And mm -hmm. the other is that when you're ra if you've raised someone, like the, the situation you described, there's a woman who's estranged from her parent, um, and then they, they meet a at some point after she's an adult, and they end up in a romantic relationship. Um, mm -hmm. I, well, I, don't, I don't have any, I don't even see a, a, a moral objection with it. There are some concerns about uh, procreation and, and you know, gene pool issues of, of producing offspring from near kin. Um, but that's a different scenario from someone who entered a romantic relationship with a parent at the age of 18 when that parent had actually raised them. And there's, an, there's, a, there's a potential problem there because as the parent, that one, one aspect of that role is to train up and raise up uh, a child uh, and give them information to kind of help construct who they're going to be. And if you... If you're in that position of authority, it's possible that you could raise up a child such that they would enter a romantic relationship with you, whether it's, you know, uh, Stockholm Syndrome or yeah, that right, type of thing. Yeah. Uh, some kind of, uh, you, you basically led them to this. And that's where society's objections come into this even more so. It's, oh, well, you, you say you're in a consensual relationship with your adult child, but, you know, did you raise them to want that? Did you raise them to, you know, have, have you done something potentially harmful with them? And so it's the relationship boundaries that we construct um, that we're really kind of seeking to protect. We want, you know, uh, this kind of rigid role for parents and children. Uh, mm -hmm. There are people who are going to have the kind of ick response 
yeah. to pretty much anything. Um, it, it, there's no sexual kink or attraction or activity that doesn't make somebody go ick. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ick is not the factor by which we should making, be making decisions <laughs> about what I, people should do or what is right or wrong about what they do. We need to be looking I, at I bigger issues of harm. There. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. We also should just, and this is a little bit of a side, I agree with everything you just said. That's because I'm right. You couldn't have said it any better, I don't think. We do know that different cultures uh, define incest quite differently sometimes. So the very notion of incest is itself a cultural construct. I mean, the Hawaiian uh, and and Egyptian royalty married their sisters and brothers. Happens all the time on Game of Thrones. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's hot. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) I don't know if it's a good idea or not, I'm just saying, but I do think the power dynamic is a real key issue. Has that person gained inappropriate power over the other person through the way they raised them or in some other way? And that's, that's what our society should be concerned about. Each individual should have a right of, of autonomy and, and self, self-autonomy that that might violate. One of the situations that I know has caused problems that often gets labeled as incest, even though technically I don't think it should, is between step-siblings. Uh, right. you know, yeah, yeah. my dad married your mom and now all of a sudden, uh, the feelings that we might normally develop as, you know, uh, people c- becoming sexually aware in the same household, uh, that's forbidden because we're related by some state constructed. I mean, and it puts an intense amount of pressure on people to deny who they are and what feelings they have. And I, I know of families that have been ripped apart by relationships forming between step-siblings. And I just want to, you know, I wouldn't actually do it, but I kind of want to just smack them around a little bit and say, stop. You know, the, the, the activities that they're engaged in are completely normal. And who the hell are you to decide that somebody's feelings about someone are wrong? Uh, it just right. doesn't make any sense to me. No, I agree. I mean, uh, this was obviously not a, a, a very typical situation. Uh, like when I read the article, I'm, I'm kind of, I have a number of reasons to question the validity that, like, did this actually even happen? But, you know, I feel like it was an interesting thought experiment. And I agree with you as far as step siblings because there's no blood relation, there's no potential for, uh, you know, congenital birth defects. It's not, it's not any more likely than any random people. Uh, I, I was really more talking about the dynamic between a parent and their offspring, you know, because that. what? Uh, between a parent and their offspring. Yeah. Or between a brother and a sister, like immediate family. Yeah, it's, it's this whole thing about boundaries and, and which kind of relationship we're talking about, it, it can mm-hmm. change the dynamic. Um, you know, yeah. on some, on some scale, we're all related. There's a little scientific thing that's, I think, very interesting. It's called the Westermark effect. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard of it. Um, no. First hypothesized back in the late 1800s and proven in uh, in the kibbutz of Israel, what uh, what this particular group of psychologists found is anybody raised from birth till about six years old together, whether they're genetic related or not, seem to have no romantic interest in each other for the rest of their life. And they documented 3,000 different cases of children who were raised together, who could have easily, but were not genetically related. They were. They were raised in the same kibbutz, and at the end of that six years, none of them married any of the others that we could possible in that within that uh, cohort. So there's this: we're imposing roles upon people. We all take on roles. 
we kind of seek to meet the expectations that are either foisted on us or the expectations we think are being foisted upon us. Um, and that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's why when people, you know, with 13, 14, 15-year-olds marry, uh, you see something that's potentially a little bit different, like, yeah. you know. But anyway, thanks a lot for the call, John. Yeah. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. All right, let's get beyond uh, sex and uh, incest and whatever else and uh, go to Dixon in Fort Worth. How are you doing? Hey, doing good. So I, I, we thought we lost you there for a minute, but you wanted to call in to talk about the existence of God? Yes. Um, Which I, God? The God of the Jews and the Christians. The God of the Jews and the Christians. If you ask, if you, if you ask a Jew... If you told a Jew that there was a God of Jews and Christians, I think the Jews would probably object. They probably would. Yeah, so and we're, we've already got a little bit of problem here with a muddy definition, but go ahead. Um, I wanted to share an argument of that there is a God. Mm-hmm. Is that you see in this world, it's specially created. The climates are made for the animals that I, live there, for humans. I, I don't see that. Well, do you see penguins living in Texas? I'm sorry? Penguins. Do you see penguins living in Texas? No. It's because they were designed well, to be it, At the zoo. Oh, you're, so your explanation for why there aren't penguins in Texas is because they were designed to live elsewhere. Yes, they have to live in a cold climate. Even sure. in the zoo. How, why, why, how did you exclude the possibility that penguins evolved to fit in colder climates, and they didn't evolve to fit in warmer climates. I don't believe in evolution. Okay, so why don't you believe in evolution? Well, do you see any apes now turning into humans? Uh, that has nothing to do with evolution. Yeah, it does. A lot of evolution... I, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Evolutionary, the evolutionary model shows that we have a common ancestor with apes. So, you have a cousin, right? Yeah. Okay. You have a common ancestor with your cousin, and that would be your grandparent, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, if I explain to you that you and your cousin have a common ancestor, wouldn't it be ridiculous for you to say, I didn't come from my cousin, right? Yeah, that is correct. So it's ridiculous to talk about us coming from apes when what evolution is saying is that we have a common ancestor somewhere far, far back, uh, which is the case. Now, I'm taking it as you believe the Bible. You would say that we all have a common ancestor in Adam and Eve, correct? Yes, which were human. Yeah, okay. Um, why would you stop there? Assuming, let's assume that there was an Adam and Eve. There actually wasn't, uh, we, we understand. But let's assume there was. Why would you stop there to say that that's all that's related? Because they were human and they procreate to create more humans. Okay. Um, which then led to our civilization. So who were their parents? God created them. How do you know this? Brought- How do you know this? It said, God created man from the dust of, dust of the earth and breathed. Yeah, I know what the Bible says. I'm asking you, how, why do you believe that that's the truth? First of all, because the Bible says it. Okay. So, so, so far, whenever I've asked you for a why, your reason for asserting that there's a God is because you don't believe in evolution. And we've already demonstrated that you don't even understand evolution. Right. So the fact that you don't believe in it uh, is not only irrelevant, but super irrelevant because you're wrong about it. And then when asked why you believe the God thing, then you go right to the, to the fact that the Bible says so. Why do you believe the Bible? Because someone had to create it. Like Someone had some to create what? That, some of the stuff that said it's only able to be God-breathed. 
that God so, told so, someone so to So you're it. saying there are things in the Bible that could only come from a God? Yes. Like what? Like the creation of the earth. Who would know that? Uh, oh, you're assuming that the person who wrote it knows this to be true. We're trying to establish whether or not it's true. And you're, what you're saying is that you, you, your justification for knowing that it's true is that nobody could have thought of this. You do realize that people have thought of creation myths forever, that other religions have their own creation myths, and that they could just as easily say that somebody had to think that up. Here's another fact. No, let's not do another. <laughs> let's not do another. Um, I, I'm, I'm still on this one. Uh, you believe the, you believe that the that the universe was created, and you don't accept evolution. And your primary reason for this is because you believe the Bible's true, and you believe the Bible's true because you say there are things in it that could not have come from human beings. And I, I'd, I'd still like to know what do you what is in the Bible that you don't think a human being could have come up with? Well, that was the point I wanted to make. Is there is a prophecy in Daniel that says a king will rise up and have his underneath his thumb, and the people will have no say in all the unjust things he does. Okay, so let's let's assume for a second that this passage in Daniel that you're referencing uh, actually came true. It has. Uh, okay, I'm, I was already willing to assume that. You don't need to you know, take a no. step further and assert it. Uh, how do you know that the only way, that the only explanation for why this prophecy supposedly came true is because this prophecy came from God. How did you rule out every other possibility? Because this prophecy has come true in the 21st century. Okay. You ever watch Doctor Who? I do. How did you rule out time travel? Because have we found a way of doing it? Ah, so you're, you're <coughs> ruling out time travel because we don't know of any way to, to engage in time travel, right? Plus there's another reason time travel is not possible. Okay. Uh, Have you seen any weird changes like World War II? If time travel was possible, wouldn't someone go back and hey, try to prevent World hey, War II? Dixon, how do you know that somebody didn't go back in time and actually start World War II? You're only going to have the memory of what you experienced in your life. If somebody goes back and changes something, wouldn't that change your memories? It would. But Hitler was the one that started attacking Poland, not some random time traveler. Okay, thanks, Dixon. I appreciate your call. We'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Sex, Muslim religion, ex-Muslim. Yeah, well, well, uh, I'll just let that one sit there and, and marinate for a while. Uh, I, I apologize if I pronounce this wrong. Is it Sujan? Yes, this in New York. Sujan. What? What is it again? Uh, yes, this is Sujan. You pronounce it absolutely right. Oh, hello, guys. How are you? That's because I'm as close to perfect as I'm ever going to get. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was funny the last call. Anyway, I, I'm an ex-Muslim. Uh, Congratulations! Yeah, welcome back to reality. Yep, uh, I become atheist like four or five years. I've been following your show for quite a long time. Okay, my first thing I just want to actually share with you guys. I heard a lot of calls from Christianity uh, and Christian people that why you guys talk about Christianity all the time, all mm -hmm. the time. And guess what? You are not alone. When I write on my blog or on my Facebook toward my Muslim community and everything, they complain same thing over and over. <laughs> why do I write about Muslims? Why and, I don't go for the Christianity? And, and so, it's funny, it's funny in part because this is a call-in show. 
And so we uh-huh. talk about primarily whatever the callers call in about. And if we got more Muslim and ex-Muslim callers, we would talk more about Islam. Now, a lot of it is outside of my area of expertise. And uh, I get into, you know, disagreements and arguments with people because I don't, you know, uh, I don't know the Quran and the Hadith as well as I know the Bible. I don't know. I wasn't raised in that kind of culture. So it's plus Muslims in America don't have the same impact on my life and my potential rights as Christians do. And so uh, you focus where the where the problem where the power balance problem is um, as, as soon as. As soon as Islamists uh, manage to get a significant hold in the U.S. to where they threaten, you know, the rights of, of, of citizens, well, then I'm pretty sure everybody will be talking about it a whole bunch more. So, John, I'm, I'm interested in your experience as a ex-Muslim and uh, sex, your sex and sexuality. You want to say a word about that? That'd be interesting. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I just want to finish up the, my first thing that why I do write about Muslims is because I'm from Muslim community and I actually brought up as a Muslim, so I know Hadith and Quran more than like uh, any other gods in, in anything. Okay, and about sexuality, this is what it is in Muslim religion. They are very obsessed with sex. Like this is one of the religion they actually explain very well how I'm going to get 72 virgin. <laughs> Total uh, understanding of having sex with slave and everything, but they are uh, not supposed to get anything in this uh, like open-minded. Nothing without marriage. Nothing without uh, if you if I have a slave, like I can have hundreds of slaves and have anything. And but if I don't have a slave, I cannot do anything. So this is why in Muslim community you can uh, see recent Google search and everything. The most porn in the watches in the Internet happens on Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and those areas because they are so obsessed. Mm-hmm. They want to get this thing. They want to have sex, but they cannot do it. This is why they're doing it. I just want to share with you guys that's why I called. Well, there's a, you're right. There's a lot of new research showing that the, the more repressed a country is, as in Pakistan, the more they search for porn. But I, I've had the recent expo- experience of interviewing two ex-Muslim women uh, on my podcast, the Secular Therapy Podcast. I'm a Secular uh, Sexuality Podcast. Sorry about that. And these women were born right here in the United States. They're U.S. citizens. And they had to leave their homes at a very short notice because they were about to get forced into a marriage. Now, these are free U.S. citizens are being forced to go overseas, marry somebody, and come back. And they said this is, they told me in the interview, and you can go on my podcast and listen to it, how this is fairly common in some Muslim communities. Can you talk about that? What, is, what are you seeing in the, the American uh, um, Islamic communities about forced marriages or high pressure put on young girls to marry? Absolutely. I'm from Bangladesh, okay, and it, this is the same problem we face over and over, too. Like from my uh, family too. My whole family is not an atheist. All of my family is religious. So most Muslim community or any, any Asian community, I'm going to say, they actually like to live with parents, and uh, that's how they grow up. That's how they do. They think that whatever parents decide for the children, this is the right thing to do. So for them, as a human being, if I want to get married with a girl I like to do, my mom will say, no, this is not the right girl then I have another right girl for you. So this is actually the community works. And this is not only just religion. It's also a culture. It has been built up for a very, very long time. I know, but my, my point is it's happening here in the United States to women who have U.S. citizenship and are 
have rights, and those rights are being violated in some pretty terrible ways. Are you seeing that? I mean, I, these two women were very articulate about the dangers that if their family even found out where they were, they might be killed here in the United States. It's not Pakistan. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's right here. Are, right. How, and you're living uh, here, so I'm curious of your experience and what you're observing. No, no. I'm observing the same thing. You are absolutely right about that. But this is what I'm saying is that this is about mindset, Okay. Now, you just receive a call that people talking about uh, what is called creationists and everything like that. We, we live in America. We have enough research to uh, study about evolution or anything like that. But we don't because we just believe in some kind of text and bullshit. That's what we do. And this is mindset what happened. We cannot change the mindset. So those Muslim communities, even though if they live in most secular community possible in earth, still they will have the same mindset as they have mm-hmm. and this is where we are arguing about this is where we are writing about to change the muslim community mindset so they can change and they just don't freaking blow buildings or something all over you know so people can actually start learning about how the secularism works how the things work well i want to congratulate you i want to say thank you for what you're doing because i am very concerned that this is happening to people right here in the U.S., and I want to raise awareness of how the Muslim community is treating its own people, especially young girls and women. It's, it's, uh, it's a violation of their rights in so many ways, and it's hidden because the whole Muslim community hides it and fails to report it, uh, protects that kind of behavior in their community. Sounds like you see that as well. And, and I, I was going to ask, actually, you know, you identify as an ex-Muslim. I, I don't know. How long, how long were you... I mean, you said it's four or five years ago that you you became an atheist. But how long were you involved with Islam from birth to what oh, age? Yes, I'm 28, so I, I was in Islam more of a like I was practicing religion until I'm 21, 22. But then I start being rational and start asking my own authority. Yeah, that, so was, is it right or not? Was that was that entire time spent in the U.S.? Um, yes. Okay. Uh, I become an atheist when I'm in the U.S. So one of one of the things that we constantly end up having conversations about, um, and I I figured I'd just ask you since it's rare enough that we we get an ex-Muslim to call in. Um, it's difficult to discuss these issues, and you know when I talk about Christianity, so there are people who will claim that I'm painting with too broad a brush, that I'm speaking too generalized, and that you know not all Christians think this and not all Christians think that. And I've repeatedly pointed out to them uh, that I understand that if anybody understands that not all Christians think one thing, uh, it's me. And, uh, you know, we have a thousand, more than a thousand different denominations that disagree on every single point of doctrine. Um, my, my concern is that they all tend to point to the same holy book and identify with the same label. And if they don't want to get paint on them when I'm painting the guy standing next to them, then they need to move and perhaps they should take some some strong uh, efforts to either relabel themselves or repeatedly continually point out that their version of Christianity is significantly different from Westboro or the KKK or, you know, whatever other group happens to identify as Christian and yet does terrible things. When we talk about Islam, uh, for most ignorant Americans, and I'm including myself in that, which is why I'm asking the question, uh, there's a similar concern that the Muslim community is being painted uh, with too broad a brush, that we're, we're generalizing too much, that we're focusing on 
the negative things that some extremist fundamentalist Islamist may do. Um, and then there's uh, this other group of Muslims that are trying to portray it uh, as a religion of peace and come up with better PR. What is your take on uh, both the diversity of views within Islam and how they're perceived? Okay, uh, so mostly you want to talk about the secularism, uh, secular Muslim or the, like uh, aggressive Muslim, regular Muslim, right? So what happened is, first of all, when I started thinking about it, I thought myself as a secular Muslim. Then what, when I went back and studied those religion books and everything, uh, in Quran especially. So most of the time, if I don't change the meaning, like exactly what happened with the Bible, that change the meaning, change the word or change the lyrics, so if I don't change the meaning of it, I cannot make Quran as a secular. Because Quran makes it very straightforward uh, that don't make a friend with infidels. Or don't make a friend with uh, other religion people. Okay? So this is, the, I don't think the extremists are wrong. Totally. Because I really don't think. Quran actually says that. Be an extremist. Okay? And they are the following the exact word what is written. The secular people who's trying to cover it up. But as a from Muslim community, let me be very specific with that. Most of us, what we brought up, the way we brought up from our parents and everything, that, okay, you shouldn't like the other religion. That's how we grow up. Even though secular people might say, oh, I love my friends and everything, but that's a bullshit, clear bullshit. Because in our head, from beginning, some point they start thinking, oh, they're not the good people. They're not going to go heaven. They're not doing this, that. So whoever is following Quran straight up words, I think they're the right ones, but they're the crazy ones. So they, secularism, they're trying to cover it up. Yeah, so the, you and I are on the same page uh, with respect to two different religions, because I've said before that while what f- extreme fundamentalist Christians believe and what the Bible actually supports is uh, an abomination, it's reprehensible, it's nothing that anybody should, uh, no, no moral human being could support the, the things that are in there. And so you have these liberal and moderate Christians who really just kind of pick and choose and ignore things and interpret things in different contexts, and they've got this view that, you know, God is love, and, and they build this model of a God in their head, and then they read the selected passages from the Bible based on this God that they've invented, not what's actually on the page. And what I, what I think I heard from you is that we're, we're seeing the same thing with Muslims with regard to the Quran and the Hadith. There was a study just came out the last week or two, I believe by Pew, over 13 different Islamic countries. And they asked a simple question, should an apostate be put to death? And 36% of the respondents said yes. Now, that's 36% think an apostate should be put to death. There's probably a lot more that don't think should be put to death, but maybe just tortured or put in prison or something else. They didn't ask that question. What do you, th- I, I think you're right on with that, uh, Suzanne. I think that's probably right. But, but. It's a big problem because people are actually reading the Quran. Christians aren't reading the Bible. I don't think they read it nearly as much as the Muslims read their Quran. Uh, you are absolutely right about that. The other fact in the Quran is most of the, like 95%, I'm going to say, or 90%, I'm going to say, I shouldn't say the uh, number, but it's still, that we read the Quran just Quran by itself. We read it in Arabic. Okay, There is only 15 million people who actually understand Arabic. Most of us, uh, 1 billion people doesn't. This is 1.5 billion Muslim all over the world, right? Yeah. And we don't understand Arabic, but we just keep reading it. And we just get the point, whatever our alam or like, you know, priest, 
however you want to say, whatever they explain to us, okay? We don't get the passage straight forward. Also, yes, uh, for me, very specific. When I read Quran in my language and when what I understand from what to what meaning, that whatever extremist is doing, they're right. So I thought, no, this is not the right thing to do. And people, what happened, you, as you said, 36% of the morality, rest of the people who I, they are not saying because they grow up in a different environment. And morality is different than back in 1400 years ago. Like now, you cannot get married with a nine-year-old children, right? You will then give your uh, daughter to let marry someone, like nine-year-old daughter to marry some 60-year-old guy, right? Mm-hmm. But on Muhammad's time, it was perfectly fine. And that is, is totally moral. So one, I appreciate the call a lot. We're going to move on to some other people. But I have one last question before, before we go on. Um, inevitably, someone's going to watch this clip, and they're going to complain that you're an apostate and an ex-Muslim, and you don't have a clue what you're talking about, and you're misrepresenting Islam. So I figured I'd go ahead and let you address that uh, future objection right now before we say goodbye so that I don't have to. Uh, yes, this is uh, perfectly fine. Thank you very much. And this is what I'm going to say that, yes, you can interpret however word you want to say. If you would like to choose word to word, then choose it. Uh, yes, a lot of people will say, I'm interpreting wrong, and my interpretation is wrong. I'm not interpreting anything. I'm just saying whatever is actually there. Okay? And I don't mean to be right or wrong. It's just we, we can cover up. If, we can cover up with anything. Okay? Yep. So if somebody said, I would like to kill you, it's really cannot interpret like I love you so much, but I'd like to keep it. So, <laughs> and, uh, and as much as I'd like to agree with you, I, I've actually had this discussion with my wife because she loves cats and she mm-hmm. wants to squish all the cats in the world, all the kitties in the world to death. And to her, that means I love kitties. <laughs> yeah. So, so there, I suppose there's, there's a little bit of hyperbole that. in there as well. All right. Anyway, Thank Shishan, you. I appreciate Thank the call. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. All right, so we've got, uh, let me get the right number here. We've got Graham in Dayton. How are you? Hello, Matt. Uh, hello, uh, Dr. Ray. Good, good Glad to be talk on the show. You. So you, you, had a, you had a question about, uh, or you wanted to talk about something related to sexual deviancy and, and uh, religious shame, I guess? Yeah. Um, well, uh, basically... I would consider myself a sexual deviant. I didn't discover this till later in my life. Um, are you getting some feedback from me? Uh, I'm not, but you if you've got your stream going, you might be hearing yourself going back through it. While, while you take a look at that, let me just ask Daryl, um, just for clarification with what he's talking about, how do we go, what, what, does deviant even have any meaning? No, um, it's almost impossible to define what deviant would be. You have to have a standard against what to measure something. Yeah, it's like, how kinky are you? Well, I yeah. don't know, how kinky is there, and then add one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's my definition of a deviant. Anybody who's getting better sex than me. <laughs> okay. Does that work for maybe, you? <laughs> so, maybe, uh... Maybe that's not the. Maybe we don't have a common definition of what it is. Then, uh, here's the thing: uh, as young as I can remember, I've been aroused by violence. Um, Any violence or specific violence, or did you say violence? Like you really like violence? Violence, violence like uh, death and violence. Okay. Uh, um, war movies. Um, uh, you know. Anything that would have a murder in it, um, anything uh, particularly directed towards um, 
Uh, man, um, I don't know where this came from. I don't know why it was there. Uh, I didn't even know it was a where my sexual orientation was going to until older. Like, uh, uh, I was watching uh, one of Dr. Ray's uh, uh, conferences on YouTube there before I called in, um, talking about uh, masturbation and uh, the shame of it. And uh, the truth is, I never masturbated until I was 21, and uh, probably still a virgin to this day. But um, the thing is, I remember you once saying that, um, Somebody called into the show, and they said that without God, I would be completely immoral. I would be killing and raping and doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And for, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might have said, if, that, if religion is the only thing from keeping you from doing that, then by all means, stay with your religion. Yeah. Um, and, and, and to I clarify, guess, I don't think that that's actually true. I don't think that religion is actually keeping them from it and I definitely don't think it's the only thing but if that's what the idea that they have in their mind if they're if they truly are in this binary uh between I need to keep believing in God or I'm going to go out and slaughter people then by all means I need them to keep believing in God because that's the preferable uh situation okay okay I can understand that but uh I mean that was my younger days um you know I was uh I got you know I I got off on it um whether um, but it was all imaginary. It was whether I was the victim or whether I was the person doing it. Um, but it started cultivating into something that I wanted to experiment later in life. And um, I have to say the fear of burning in hell kind of, you know, uh, helped me restrain me, I guess. Um, but... Also, the morality of it, um, you know, like uh, so, the first so time in history. Let, let us kind of jump in because there, there's some stuff I want to kind of get um, from Daryl, but also I have additional questions. You know, when when you say that you, you were in a position where you felt like you wanted to go out and uh, do things, I mean, were yeah. you actually considering harming other people? Uh, yes. I was. Okay. And, and so the the fear of hell was the only thing in your head, I guess, at the moment that was keeping you no, from... No. 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 The fear of hell was one thing. Um, that was the self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I remember in history class, we saw actual film reels of the Holocaust and bulldozers plowing these destitute-looking people. Uh, I mean, that I realized what I was into, what I was thinking about, and what I was fantasizing about. And I realized that, you know, that this had to be an evil. And I guess part of the, you know, fear of burning in hell, um, because when I shared this, tried to share this where I was, you know, what I am with uh, pastors and friends, that's that's basically what they said would would happen. I would lose my my salvation, and that would happen. And that that sent me through a whole different road. But um, also the morality of when I had to stop and think of what really was happening. Right. That also, I guess, that was a morality apart from the religion that. So I, I think I, I think that this, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I think this kind of raises. 
uh, an important issue when we're talking about, you know, uh, what counts as deviance, what counts as kinky, you know, uh, trying to assess all of these things. Um, my general view on, on this is that, you know, uh, none of this is uh, problematic provided you're talking about consenting adults, provided you're talking about people, uh, you know, who are engaged in things um, that aren't harming themselves and others um, in, in those sorts of, of ways. And that when we, we have someone who is in a position, I guess, similar to yours, and by the way, I have zero expertise in this area at all. Um, okay. But I, I, I do know enough that um, there's a couple things that, we need to consider, and I'm going to get Daryl to, to chime in on these. Number one is, um, how do you currently feel about the attractions that you have or the compulsions that you may have? Um, what do you think is likely to happen in the future? And are you, you know, seeing a, a counselor or a therapist about this? Because this is something that, you know, a lot of times people complain about and, and use the term pedophile and toss it around. Um, and this is someone who is attracted to children. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to act on it. And it is, this is not a group of people that I think should be disparaged just because their brain is telling them, ooh, this is attractive. And I, I, I think we're kind of in the same or similar ballpark mm-hmm. with you. And that what we right. really should be objecting to uh, are things like pederasts who actually go out and uh, have sex with young kids, mm-hmm. pederasts being primarily males, but um, or maybe right. exclusively. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had those questions, and I don't know what Daryl's thoughts are on this. I, I actually agree with everything you just said. My concern uh, is the same way that uh, Matt has. Uh, Graham, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, a violation of another person without it is what I'm concerned about. And do you feel compelled? Do you feel a compulsion to do that? If you do, okay. then I'm concerned. I'm concerned that you go find some help for that. Okay. Well, here's the here's the thing. There's a big. Hold uh, on. Let me. Let okay, me think. Sure, there's sure, a huge sure. difference right. between what goes between your ears, what's going on between mm. your ears, and what you actually do, what your behavior is. There's a mm. lot of things that go on between our ears that I would never want anybody to see. In my, and and you just described something that's not that uncommon for people to mm. to have some sexual response to death and violence. That's not that uncommon, and ah. Uh, I submit, look at all the violent movies out there and look how many people seem to really get off, almost sexually get off on those. So there's there's something going on there, I think. So what you're telling me is not, I've, I've heard it a hundred times, what is concerning... Is there a definition? Par- pardon? Is there a definition for what that is? Is it, uh, is it, a, is it necromancy? Is it... Um, it's, a, I'm, sure there's, I'm sure there's several parts of it that would fit under one or more of those. I'm not okay. worried about the labels right now. I'm just worried uh, if you have a compulsion to get to, to move forward with that any kind of behavior that would hurt another person, get out there and get some help. There's you don't want to hurt yourself, you don't hurt anybody else, and that's what'll end up happening. Okay. Well, do you need help finding somebody? Uh, yeah, I saw your I saw your uh, your website there. Okay. Um, as far as a secular therapist, I guess the first question would be, what do we define as a therapist? Because <laughs> anybody can put a paper over their desk that says, I'm a therapist. I'm more, more concerned about a psychiatrist, I guess. I, I find some help is what I'm saying. Just get out okay. there and find okay. some help. understand. Uh, but, uh, you can debate what a therapist is. Look at their qualifications. <laughs> look at what kind of therapy okay. they practice. There's reasonable okay. ways to approach this issue. I, I want you to be safe, and I want other people to be safe with you. 
Does that make okay. sense? Yes, it does. And, you have, you uh, have yeah. a you have a full life to live. You're a you're a valuable human being. Let's yeah. not screw that up. I understand. And if I could I could clarify, um, most of the struggle, I'd have to say, was earlier in life. I'm uh, I'm in my fifties now. I'm old. I'm diabetic. I got high blood pressure. I'm not that bright, so. Um, you know, I don't have the energy for it, but more than likely, it's I also the understanding that morally it's not right, and but sexually I'm not as active as I was. So, well, good luck. It was luck. something very, very uh, hard, a hard struggle. The church told me I had a demon in me that needed to be treated, whatever that meant. Yeah. Um, but uh, as I've gotten older. The uh, the drives have waned. They're still there. I mean, you know, I'll be sitting in the room reading a, a book, and, you know, months go by, and suddenly it's like, oh, you know. So I, 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 would just, I would just say, Graham, because we're going to – I've got – we only got a few minutes left in the show. Okay. Um, I would say, number one, uh, the awareness that you seem to have of the issues – is something that I, I kind of look at as a positive. Very positive. Um, yeah. That you seem to understand yourself and you seem to have some good reasons for imposing limits and boundaries upon yourself. Uh, and, you know, I, what I would be worried about is this idea that from your perspective, this is waning. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's actually waning or, or not, I mean, I can't say because I can't get in your head, but I would definitely recommend you look into the Secular Therapist Project or something else along those lines. Um, to talk to somebody who knows far more about this um, than I do, because the key things uh, are, number one, to make sure that nobody else gets harmed because of something that's awry in your head or my head. And number two is to make sure that you are okay um, with who you are and that you, you know, in addition to not hurting others, uh, maybe you'll find a a way to uh, deal with these issues that has a a much more positive, productive uh, output. I agree. All right. Thanks, Graham. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we've got uh, tons of calls in like two and a half minutes Sex left or something. So. That's a good one. Um, we've got Joey in New York. Thanks for waiting. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? We've got only like two minutes left. So if you can kind of summarize real quickly, <laughs> we can let uh, Daryl answer your question. No problem, Daryl. All right. So um, I was a Christian. Um, in my to like 22, 23 uh, range, um, I was absolutely obsessed with masturbating. I could not stop masturbating. Um, and I thought it was a huge problem because, I, one, Christianity told me I couldn't. And, two, it was a, a legitimate problem. It was actually affecting my ability to go to class. It was affecting my relationships with my friends. I could not get this idea, the, the idea of, uh, like, I'm talking hours and hours. Like, I've been all day at the computer masturbating. So I'm not sure if um, if that makes any sense to me. If I, um, I'm not, What would you call that? Is, it, it, is makes, really what it makes what a lot of sense to me, and I've seen, I've, I've seen a lot of people describe that very behavior. It doesn't make you a sex addict. It doesn't make you a masturbation addict. It makes me suspic- suspect that you were depressed. It makes me suspect there's something else going on in your life that needs to be talked about, and you're self-medicating, so to be, so to speak. You're saying, 
you know, a lot of people try to self-medicate that are depressed. Some medicate with masturbation, some medicate with alcohol, some medicate with other activities like exercise. I mean, there's lots of ways to self-stimulate, to try and deal with the depression, none of which you're probably going to get over the depression. So if I, of course, this is a not, it's not currently an issue, is it? It's not anymore. What's funny is the cure to it kind of came after I left Christianity. um, I rest rest my case right there. I don't know how many people have told me I didn't masturbate nearly as much. I didn't use porn nearly as much once I got out of religion. In my book, The God Virus, I talk about the guilt cycle. The more guilty you feel about something, the more you actually do it oftentimes. And that's what happens. You feel guilty about masturbating, so you masturbate some more to get over the guilt that you got from masturbating the first time. And it's just yeah. a cycle. It's a cycle, and it brings you back to Jesus because the only place you can get <laughs> the only place you can get rid of that guilt is coming back to the church that taught you the guilt in the first place. Yeah, thank that's you. That's the reason I left too. Good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Joey. So, uh, since I didn't actually mention it uh, earlier, uh, and there's only like a minute and a half left. Uh, we'll try to get to one more call real quick, but as a reminder, we go to dinner after the show's over. I'm sure they will put the address up, and they've probably been waiting for me to actually say it uh, at El Arroyo, and uh, if you're in the Austin area right there, 1624 West 5th Street. Um, Lydia, I, I apologize. We are almost completely out of time, um, and, and your topic is, is kind of askew of what we were talking about. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I, maybe I, I would recommend that you, perhaps you try and call in next week uh, if, you, I, if, if you're available. I, yeah, I was actually going to do that because I recognized that we were pretty much out of time, and uh, I, I'd need a little bit more time to really yep. go into this. Anyway, they're, they're actually so. they're actually rolling the credits on me now. You can also email TV at atheist-community.org to get in touch with us. Uh, we look forward to hearing back from you. I appreciate it. There's the folks who make the show happen. Thanks so much to uh, Dr. Daryl Ray for coming in today and for the studio audience that's out there. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Go masturbate right now. <laughs>